Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Our text this morning is Romans 4, picking up in verse 13 and going through 5-2. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray. Our prayer for illumination is adapted from that of St. Ambrose, who followed Christ in the 4th century. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to seek you and reveal yourself to us as we seek you. For we cannot seek you unless you first teach us. And we cannot find you unless you first reveal yourself to us. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans 4, 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, Y'all come up and join me. There you go. Pack it up. Pack it in. Yeah, come on. You can kind of spread around this way too. Oh, man. <laughs> they just keep coming. You moms and dads are doing well. Yeah, there you go. Find a spot. Hey, Daniel, you, there you go. Right there. You can sit right there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, on the, on the ground too. Perfect. All right, everybody. Hey, good to see you. 
All right, here. What is this? Do you know? A seed. A seed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, specifically, this is a sunflower seed. I think it's an American giant or something like that. I've never seen a sunflower seed that big before. But what do you have to do with the seed in order for it to grow? Plant it. Yeah, it's got to go into the ground, right? Yeah, it has to go in the ground or else nothing's going to grow. Well, after you plant it in the ground, what happens after a while? Yeah, yeah, the first thing is a little green shoot is going to come up out of the ground and, and it's begin to grow. And then later, later comes the fruit. Now, do sunflower seeds, do they, do they grow apples? No. No. They, they, they grow sunflowers, of course. Yeah, that's right. And, and those sunflowers make sunflower seeds. Yeah. Did you know that Jesus spoke of himself like he was a seed. He, he, knew, he knew what seeds have to do. But before Jesus died, he said, unless a seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is saying he is going to be like that fruitful seed. But Jesus isn't a sunflower seed or, or a wheat seed. He's more, he's more like the seed of God's kingdom. Inside Jesus is everything that will grow and make life good and beautiful and right. Hey, listen up, guys. So if Jesus' body was a seed then where did it have to go in order for God's kingdom to grow? Instead of under the ground, up in heaven. Ah, no, that seed, the seed of his body had to die and go into the ground, right? He, he had to do that. And that's what we talked about on Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. But after he died on the cross, his body was put into the ground like a seed, being placed, planted in the dark earth. But today, today is Easter, right? Resurrection Sunday. We remember how Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus rising from the dead and walking out of that tomb. It's like the first green shoot of God's kingdom bursting out of the ground. God caused new life to burst out from death. And listen to this. In what we just read from Romans, we hear that there is more than just one kind of fruit that comes from Jesus' resurrection. In, in him, we find five delicious things that grow all because Jesus died and rose again. In his resurrection, we have forgiveness, justification, peace, grace, and hope. Can, can you say those things with me? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Justification. Justification. Peace. Peace. Grace. Grace. Hope. Hope. Very good. Because Jesus was raised, we have forgiveness, which means none of our sins will ever be counted against us. That's forgiveness. Say forgiveness. forgiveness. Because Jesus was raised, we have a right 
to all of the blessings that God can pour out on a person. That's part of your justification. Can you say justification? justification. Good. Because Jesus was raised, we have peace with God. We have a renewed relationship with God, not only as our God, but also as our Father. Can you say peace with God? Because Jesus was raised, we stand, we stand right now under God's favor. He, he smiles on us, and we are totally secure. That's grace. Say grace. grace. Good. And because Jesus was raised, we live in hope that soon and very soon, King Jesus will come again, and he's going to make everything new. That's our hope. Say hope. All of this, all of this is in Jesus, that seed that died and then burst out of the ground. And as you, as you trust in him, and you have him and all of these things. And because no one can ever take away him or the fruit of his resurrection away from you, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? Hey guys, uh, come find me after the service. I've got one of these for you. Just all right. You can plan it when you get home, but I'll give it to you after. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your folks. All right. If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to Romans chapter four. For the past several weeks, we have been exploring the the doctrine of our salvation. We began with the question of our need. Why do we need saving? Why do we need a savior? And we saw that the root of our problem is sin. Ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God by eating the fruit of the forbidden tree, all men have been sinners by birth and by choice. And because of their sin, all men have been justly condemned and subject to God's wrath. And more than that, they've been without hope of making atonement for their sins for themselves. So seeing this, seeing our great need, we, we next asked whether God had left mankind to perish in this hopeless condition. And we saw that he had not. On the contrary, in his mercy... Because of the great love with which he had loved us, God promised to save for himself a people through the seed of the woman. And this led us to ask, who is this seed? Who is the promised Savior? And we saw that it is none other than Jesus, the eternal Son of God, come in human flesh. He is the seed. He is the promised Savior. It is Jesus who will save God's people from their sins by being for them the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. This then let us ask how Jesus is going to do this. How is Jesus going to accomplish this salvation that we so desperately need? And we saw last Sunday that contrary to all expectations, Jesus saves by dying. Jesus saves by giving his life as the ransom price 
of our redemption. But the scriptures make clear that Jesus' death is not the end of the gospel story. Without Jesus' suffering and death, there is no salvation. That is true. We, we saw it last Sunday. Jesus must suffer if he is to be the Savior. But it is also true, as Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1. He says that it was by the resurrection of Jesus that he became the Son of God with power to save. Now, he was always the Son of God, of course. John 1 makes that clear. John says that he, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus made it clear throughout his public ministry that he was God come in human flesh. He was the great I Am. He was the one with the power to forgive sins. He was the one who had life in himself, the resurrection. But he became the Son of God with power to save through his resurrection from the dead. Only through his death and resurrection did he become our Savior. Or as Peter says it in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, it was by his death and resurrection that God has made him to be both Lord and Christ. And so this morning, I want us to, to look more closely at the accomplishment of Jesus' death and resurrection. I, I want us to, to understand more, more clearly why it matters he has died and he is risen as we have celebrated this morning. But why are these historical facts more than mere facts? Why are these historical facts essential to the gospel that we believe? I think we find our answer at the very end of, of Romans chapter 4 and the first part of Romans chapter 5. That's going to be our, our focus this morning. But before we get there, I want us just to, to notice the larger context. In the second half of Romans 4, which Sam read for us, Paul teaches us that, that this salvation that we need, referred here to as becoming heir of the world, this salvation does not come to us through adherence to the law, but through faith. It does not come through the law because no one is actually able to keep the law. Rather, the law exposes us as Sinners, the, the law exposes us as law breakers. Law breakers who are thus justly condemned, justly under God's wrath. And therefore, that's what Paul says, the law can only bring wrath. It cannot bring to us salvation because, because the law exposes us as those who have not actually kept the law. And we all know this, do we not? We, we know it all too well. We, we know ourselves to be sinners. We know ourselves to have fallen short. We don't even live up to our own standards, much less the, the perfect and holy standards of God. We are lawbreakers, justly condemned. And that is why Paul says it depends on faith. There in, in verse 16 he says it depends on faith so that... God's people can actually be saved. If it depended on the law, the promise would be void. 
If it depended on the law, no one would be saved. But, but God does not give us salvation through the law. He gives us this salvation accomplished by Christ through faith. So what does that mean? How does faith lay hold of salvation? Well, it's not because of anything inherent in faith itself. We, we need to understand that, that, strictly speaking, faith does not save. Faith cannot save. Rather, faith is the instrument by which we receive the salvation accomplished by Christ. It is God who saves through the Son who was offered up for us. Faith is merely the, the empty hands that receive the gift. Think of that line from the great hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring. Faith brings nothing. Faith receives everything. Faith is merely the instrument by which we receive God's salvation. And that's really the point. Faith is able to lay hold of salvation, not because of anything inherent in faith, but because of the object of our faith. Our faith is in God. He is the God of salvation. He is the God who saves. He's the God who saved Abraham, and he is the God who will save all who believe in him. That's what Paul is getting at at the end of the chapter. Look again at verse 23. Paul writes, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul is saying that, that faith is able to lay hold of salvation because faith is in God, the God who has raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord. And through his resurrection, salvation has been secured. And through faith in his resurrection, salvation is now received. Faith does not save, but God saves through Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. That's Paul's point here in the second half of, of Romans 4. But notice, having, having set that forth, having, having established that this faith, uh, that, that this salvation is received by faith and by faith alone, <coughs> he cannot help but then expound upon the benefits of that salvation. What is this salvation that we receive by faith? What is this salvation that is ours when we receive and rest upon our risen Lord for salvation? And it's the answer to that question that I want us to focus on this morning because here Paul gives it to us in, in at least five parts. I think we see five benefits of, of Christ's death and resurrection in the, the final verses of chapter 4 and the first few verses of chapter 5. And those benefits are the, the same benefits that Sam was expounding to the kids. Here we see that in Christ, through his death and resurrection, we have forgiveness, we have justification, we have peace, we have grace, and we have hope. I promise you this is not going to be an hour-long sermon. Let's, let's move quickly. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the, the first benefit. We see that in the first half of, of verse 24. Speaking about Jesus, Paul writes, Who was delivered? Jesus was delivered. Jesus was delivered up, why? For our trespasses. 
Now in the scriptures, the language of trespass equals sin. To, to, to trespass God's law is to be in sin. That's the trespass that is being spoken about here. And we, we trespass God's law in, in many ways. We, we regularly confess that we have, we have trespassed God's law both by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have, we have violated God's law uh, by, by breaking it outright, by, by our anger, by our, by our pride, by our, by our lust. But we have also broken God's law by, by failing to do what it commands, by, by failing to love our neighbor as ourselves, by, by failing to, to give generously, by, by failing to do justice and love, mercy, those things that, that Jesus himself referred to as the weightier matters of the law. We have trespassed God's law both by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Those are our sins. And it was for those trespasses, Paul says, that Jesus was delivered up. And to say that he was delivered up for our trespasses is to say that he was the sacrifice offered up to God to make atonement for our sins. That's what the language of, of being delivered up means. He was, he was delivered up as the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. That's the, the biblical imagery here. And to say that he has made atonement for our sins means that he has dealt with the guilt of our sins. That's what atonement does. Atonement deals with the guilt of our sin. But in our day, we, we need to be clear that what we're talking about here is actual guilt. We're not talking about our mere guilty feelings. We're not, we're not talking about the, the feelings we have when we, when we feel like maybe we've done something wrong or we haven't lived up to someone's expectations. It, it's not our feeling that. It is an actual objective guilt. Guilt refers to a moral debt that we owe before the throne of God. You see, you were created by God, and you were created for God. You owed him your entire life. You, you owed him your very self. And that is precisely what we have not given. That's what it means to be a sinner. It means that we have not given God what we owed by right, what we owed him as our creator and Lord. Rather, we claimed our lives for ourselves. We claimed to be our own king. We claimed to own our own lives. And in doing so, we failed to honor him as God or give him thanks. And that's what it means to be a sinner. All the, the wicked and destructive things that we think of as our sins, they are the poison fruit of our sin. The root is our refusal to honor God as God. The root is, is our refusal to give God what is owed, to give him our very selves. And because we have refused to honor God as God, we stand guilty before him. That's, that's simply the truth about who we are. We are the guilty. The guilty justly condemned. And Jesus was delivered up for that guilt. 
In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. In his blood our guilt is washed away. Now here Paul is connecting this forgiveness with Jesus' death, and that is obviously right. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. But in 1 Corinthians 15, as we heard earlier in the service, Paul says that if Jesus is not raised, we are still in our sins. And that teaches us that we cannot draw the line between Jesus' death and resurrection too sharply. They, they need each other. They, they stand together. Jesus was delivered up for our sins, and he was raised again for our justification. It is only in Jesus' resurrection that the accomplishment of his death is sealed. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we don't stop with, with Good Friday. On Good Friday, he is delivered up. On, on Good Friday, he is crucified. On, on Good Friday, the, the righteous one suffers for the unrighteous. And he is laid in the tomb. But while he has been crucified and while he has died, he does not remain dead. He does not remain in the tomb. But on that first Easter morning, he rose again from the dead, victorious over death and sin. That is the accomplishment of Easter. It is in Jesus' resurrection that all that his death paid for is now sealed to those who believe. The record of debt that stood against us, it was nailed to the cross. And it is his resurrection that proclaims that debt paid. Jesus' resurrection is the announcement, the, the public declaration that we have been forgiven. So we can see that the, the forgiveness of our sins, this is the first benefit of Jesus' resurrection. In the name of the resurrected Lord, forgiveness is to be preached even to the ends of the earth. And we need to sit with that for a while. We need, we need to, to, to not move on too quickly. We're, we're used to talking about the forgiveness of sins. Every Sunday we confess our sins and hear the, the assurance of, of pardon. But may not familiarity grow in our heart's contempt. May we not become bored with this gospel. We have been forgiven. In our resurrected Lord, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. If you are here this morning and you have believed in him, you are forgiven. Your sins will never be counted against you. That's, that's what Paul is getting at here. And notice, this means first that we can fully acknowledge our sins. We, we can fully acknowledge the truth about who we are. We do not have to hide we do not have to pretend. We do not have to deny. We do not have to diminish. We do not have to come up with excuses. We can acknowledge the truth about who we are, about the ways that we have failed in our relationships with God, and our relationships with one another, the ways we have failed in our work, the ways we have failed in our recreations. We can acknowledge everything that is true about us because it is only in acknowledging that it is true that we can truly be set free from the guilt. You do not have to hide or pretend because the gospel is for sinners, even the chief of sinners. It is the gospel that proclaims sinners forgiven. 
And because the Gospel proclaims forgiveness, you need to know that your sins can never be counted against you. You will never be condemned for the things that you have done. Yes, Satan will bring accusations. The world will bring accusations. Even your own flesh will bring accusations. But those accusations can be silenced because you have been ransomed. And Jesus himself says, let not that ransomed sinner die. Your sins will never be counted against you if you have received and rested upon Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And if you're here this morning, and that's not you, if you are here this morning and you have never believed, then understand this, that is what is being offered to you this morning. This offer is for any and for all, for whoever will believe. If you will receive and rest upon him, then you too will be forgiven. And if you want to know more about what that means, if you, you want to know more about what it means to, to receive him and to, to rest upon him, then please come, talk to me, talk to Sam, talk to any of the elders. We would, we would love to be able to sit down with you and explain to you more fully the glories of this gospel. But this forgiveness is only the, the first of the benefits. The, the second benefit we see here is the benefit of, of justification. Now, we sometimes think of justification as, as equivalent to forgiveness, but, but justification is actually something more. It's not less than forgiveness, but it's, but it's more than forgiveness because to be justified is to be declared righteous, to be declared right in God's sight, right before the judgment throne. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be righteous before God? Well, it's, it's the language that, that Sam used with the kids. To be righteous before God's judgment throne means that in Christ, through his resurrection, you now have a right to all of the promised benefits of the covenant. All of the benefits, all of the, the blessings that God has promised to his people are now yours by right through faith in the resurrected Lord. You see... The gospel is not merely the, the promise that the sanctions or the curses will never be imposed. The gospel is the, the promise that all of the blessings will be poured out in full upon those who have believed. That is what it means to be justified. And that is the second blessing secured for us in Jesus' resurrection. As Peter puts it in his first letter, through his resurrection from the dead, we have been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being kept for it. That is the glory of the gospel. All of the blessings of God, every spiritual blessing, is now ours in the resurrected Lord. The third blessing here is, is then peace. It's, it's related, obviously, to justification, but what we're talking about here is, is a peace with God that's, that's more than merely judicial. Before, we were enemies. We were, we were objects of God's wrath, but now in Christ, by his resurrection, having been justified, we now have peace with God. 
This means that, that we don't get the blessings through some kind of legal loophole. It is not as if, as if our relationship with God is still strained, that he is still angry, but begrudgingly, because, because we found some loophole in his law, we now get the benefits. Not at all. God is a gracious father who, who rejoices when the son comes home. God is a, a God who, who, who throws a party when a sinner repents. He is a God who delights to enter back into relationship with those who will confess their sins, repent from them, and return to him in humble faith. Through Jesus, through our justification, we now have a relational peace with God. We have been reconciled in him we are now beloved children. So John says in his first letter, Behold, the love that has been lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Is that how you know yourself to be this morning? As you gather here this morning to, to celebrate the resurrection, do you understand that through the living Lord, through the one who has conquered death, you not only have escaped the consequences of your sin, you not only have received the blessings of the covenant, but you have been reconciled to your heavenly Father. You are now his beloved child. You are now cherished by the Father. And as a beloved child, you are now a recipient of his constant and ever-flowing grace. It's the fourth benefit that we, we see here. Paul writes, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's an amazing image. It, it is a, a powerful image to, to see oneself as standing in grace. Think about what it suggests. It, it suggests that, that grace surrounds us. We stand in it. it grace in, envelops us. It is the air that we breathe. It is the, the food that strengthens us. It is the, the drink that sustains us. We stand in the very grace of God. And this standing is ongoing. It is, it is continuous. It is, it is not something that was true at one time in the past when we first believed, but it is our present continuous reality. We stand, and we continue to stand in the grace of God. So that by grace, we are able to put to death our sinful passions. By grace, we are able to more and more put on Christ. By grace, we grow up into him. By, by grace, our, our love abounds more and more. By, by grace, we are, are set free to, to serve without grumbling or complaining, but with inexpressible joy. By grace, we are able to, to walk in a peace that is beyond understanding, a, a peace that does not depend on the peacefulness of our circumstances. By grace, we know the full joy of God's salvation, even in the midst of our present and profound sorrows. That's what it means to, to stand in grace, and that is what is yours through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's why. It's why we, we rejoice on Easter Sunday. Jesus' resurrection is not a mere historical fact. It is the fountain of the grace by which you now live and move and have your being. This then brings us to the final benefit. 
the final benefit that Paul mentions here. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that this grace, this grace in which we stand, this grace will bring us all the way home. The good work begun in us, it will be completed. That is the promise and the pledge of Jesus' resurrection. That is what Paul means when he says, and we rejoice in the hope of glory. Now when we, we hear the language of glory in the scriptures, our, our default is to assume that it's talking about the glory of God. And that's not a bad default, but I want you to see that here, the glory being referred to is our glory. We will be glorified. Now our glory is always derivative. It is always dependent. It is always reflective. We have no glory apart from God's glory. But our glory is real glory. We were created glorious. And we have been redeemed to be restored to that glory. When man fell into sin, he fell short of God's glory, the glory for which he had been created. But now in Christ, the promise of that glory is our inheritance yet again. And we wait for it with eager expectation. Obviously, we don't see it yet in full. We are not what we will be. It's what John says. What we will be has not yet been made known. But what we will be is glorious. What we will be is like Jesus in his glory. And that day is coming. We don't know when, but it is coming. And on that day, we will be glorified and we will be made perfect in the enjoying of God for all eternity. Like him, we will be raised in glory. That is what has been secured for us by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. In him, we have forgiveness. Our sins will never be counted against us. In him, we have justification. We now have a right to all the blessings of God. But more than that, we have God himself. We have been reconciled to our heavenly Father. We have peace with God. We are now his beloved children. As his beloved children, we now stand in his grace until that day when faith will become sight and our hope will be realized. And we will be conformed to the glory of our resurrected King. These are the blessings that are ours by faith and by faith alone. If you have received and rested upon Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, this is what is yours. And if you have never believed in him, this is what is offered to you this morning. Do you believe it? Will you receive it? Will you lift up the empty hands of faith and accept all that Christ has accomplished for you through his death and resurrection? Because the promise is this, whosoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. And because all of this is given to whoever believes, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come before you now, awed by the wonder of your gospel, 
awed by the, the wonder of all that you have accomplished for us in Christ. Father God, would you open our minds and our hearts to see it, to understand it, to receive it, to love it, and to bring forth its fruit in our lives, all to the praise of your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.